Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. I'm excited because uh, 2019 is going to be huge for the Best Life podcast, and we have some announcements that we're going to be making pretty soon. We've been alluding to it on social media a little bit. Yes, we have. Yes. And so we are excited. Danny is here in Los Angeles. We're doing a ton of recording this week. And one of the questions that we got asked was someone asked us if we could maybe talk about mindset a little bit more, but in the way that maybe defining some terms. So I love the concept of mindset. I hate the word mindset because I feel like it's so all-encompassing and a lot of people who are not maybe in this space, maybe not in the more like, I don't know, I would say the personal development space, mm-hmm. to them it feels like that's weird. Like what is that even, right? It's like so intangible. So for example, you know, if you're a fitness professional or you're someone who's working with people, like a lot of my clients is, you know, we want to help people with their mindset, but being more confident, being more secure in themselves, being more, creating more ease and joy in their life, which we'll get into more about what that entails when we talk about mindset in a second. But people don't come to us and say, I need to switch my mindset, yep. right? But when we're struggling, when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling insecure, when we're comparing ourselves to other people, a lot of time the solution is in switching how you're viewing the situation. So at a high level for me, I define mindset as just your perception. That's it. So it's like literally how you choose to see the world. That's your mindset, right? If you're looking at a situation, you can see it in a way that you're not good enough, or you can see it in a way that this is happening for you or instead of to you, et cetera. So mindset really in my mind is just your perception of how you see the world, how you see other people, how you see your own self, how you see your body. And luckily that's a choice. I think that's a really good definition. Actually, I would say it's, it's the choosing of how you see something, you know, like this is black and white. What do you see, black or white? And it's like one person will see one thing and one will see another. And that's really like comes down to mindset. It really is because I think that's what puts you in your power. Of course, we'll talk about action and those kind of things too. But when someone says, you know, I really need to work on my mindset or I want to work on my mindset, really what we're talking about is the outcomes that you can achieve by switching your mindset. So I would say to, to just get started, most people live in what I would consider to be like a default mindset. Default mindset are things like defensiveness, and insecurity and ego and deflecting and maybe feeling threatened at times, right? So all of us kind of know someone and maybe we're like that too. And I certainly am at times too, where my immediate response to any situation is to complain and to blame, right? Complain, blame, be defensive. Someone cuts you off in traffic, this fucking asshole. Like that to me is, yes, that's good. That's going to be our response in that situation. But we're always kind of playing defense. I think that's kind of like the more default brain. Most of us, I would say probably 95%, 99% of the population typically goes through life that way, where they feel like something is always being done to them. Yep. And when you start doing personal development work, and I know the only reason I got into it, and I would like to hear your story too, the only reason I got into personal development was because I find out that my husband was like talking to another woman and I was kind of starting to see another woman. And I was like, holy shit, like I need tools. I remember being heartbroken and and talking to my girlfriends 
And they were like, you know, he's an asshole and stuff. And I was like, yeah, like, yeah. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I had any solutions to start feeling better about the situation. So I went to Barnes and Noble. I think I've told the story before. Went to the self-help section. It was like so embarrassed to be there. And I think I got a book that was like, how to repair your marriage after infidelity or something like that. It was also, it was all like make him pay and like stuff like that. It just <laughs> didn't resonate with me. And it wasn't until I got the recommendation of Byron Katie's work and stuff like the four agreements that I started to feel like, okay, there are some solutions that actually do make me feel more in my control and in my power going through the world. I'm not just always playing defense. I actually have a say in how I feel. I started personal development, honestly, when I was about 10 years old. (laughs) It's amazing. Because my mom was in a college class. My parents got divorced. We moved in with my grandmother. So my mom went back to college and she got in a self-esteem class and she would come home and practice on me and my brother and she would make us do these affirmations. And she did this before she got a divorce, but she gave us some new ones. She would make us say, I like myself. I like myself. I like myself three times. And my grandma had all these tapes of Dennis Waitley, of Wayne Dyer. And so I started to listen to Dennis Waitley. I think he had um, these tapes about the psychology of winning. He, He was like a guy who worked with like professional athletes and Olympic athletes. So I started listening to this stuff on tapes when I was pretty young. And then, of course, I went to counseling uh, when I was 15 and pregnant. And my social worker was making me read all kinds of books like, oh, I named this once before, but uh, I can't remember it right offhand because I'm a little bit out of sorts today. Do you want to talk about that too? Just to give people <laughs> yeah. some context. You guys, I've been in so much pain for like a week. My back and neck have been killing me and I think I have a pinched nerve in my shoulder blade. And so the last few days and probably the episode with Sierra, if I don't make sense, that's why I was just like could barely move. You make sense. <laughs> so anyway, I'm like, I'm in and out of uh, trying to keep my train of thoughts straight. But anyway, yeah, it was early, early personal development stuff. And my mom used to say to me, I, I remember yelling at her, and being really upset and go, you made me so mad. And she goes, you didn't, or I didn't make you mad. You chose to be mad. And that would make me even more mad. Yep. But it was early, early on that I actually started. Um, I didn't even know what personal development was, but I would do the Barnes and Noble self-help thing, but I wasn't embarrassed at all. Like I loved, that was like my favorite section of the bookstore. I just was super into it since I was in basically third, fourth grade. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's interesting there's a lot of terms that get thrown around, right? So one of the things this lady wrote in, she said things like speak your truth. What does that mean? I think that we're in this world. And so we kind of know what does speak your truth mean. Right. But I wanted to bring up some of those terms too, as we go into this, that maybe, and I'll kind of throw some out, like yep. what does speak your truth mean to yep. somebody? What is, uh, or what would even be the utility of speaking your truth? Like, right. why is that even important? Right. <laughs> and like, let's just start with that one. Like okay. speak your truth. To me, speak your truth means your perception. So, you know, it's funny when I tell people that you and I did a an episode on our husband's affairs, I feel like that could come off. If you just said, oh, guess what? We did an episode on the affairs. I feel like that might be a man bashing session, but we had both of them listen to it. And I don't think it came across that way either because we really just shared our side of the story. And I think we shared our truth, not necessarily the whole truth or their side of the story or their truth. So for me, speaking your truth is really speaking what, like your perception of what happened without putting blame on someone else. Like, this is how I see it. This is how it came across to me. This is how it feels to me. That's 
to me, that's what speaking your truth means. Totally. I actually feel the same way. I feel like it's not trying to tell anyone else's story, but it's also not considering the person's response. So to me, speaking your truth is just being as authentic as possible. And I know that word gets thrown around, but authenticity to me means expressing yourself in the most honest way that you possibly can and not trying to manage how it's received. And so not trying to change what you say because you're worried about what the other person thinks. And also this is the, this is to me the most important thing about speaking your truth is it not necessarily is, it's not necessarily the truth, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the truth. It's not someone else's truth. It's not the universal truth. And I think that's sometimes where when we speak our truth, we assume that it's the right version. And it's hard to like swallow your ego a little bit and go like, okay, this, I might, the other person might not see it the same way. And is their account of what happened valid? And it is because they're speaking their truth. Mm -hmm. So you can speak your truth. They can speak their truth. And the outcome might be agree to disagree. No one is right. No one's wrong. No one's bad. No one's good. It's just literally like here it is. All the cards are on the table. And then you're going to let the chips fall. And I think there's a lot of power in speaking your truth. Yes, to include other people. But mostly it's for yourself. Yeah. To me, it's mostly for yourself to start practicing the honest communication without trying to manage how it's being received. So many times we change what we're going to say because we want the other person to feel okay, or we don't want them to be mad, or we don't want them to be disappointed. That's not really speaking your truth. That's manipulation. Here's another one that this uh, woman wrote in, and I think this is really big for a lot of people. And even going back to exactly what my mom said to me, it's the choosing to be hurt versus being hurt or any emotion. So you're choosing to be mad or you just are mad or somebody made you mad. How? Because when you're in the moment, because she's, and I know she's going through something that she's kind of going through the marriage thing that we went through. So I'm assuming she's going through some kind of affair. Mm -hmm. She didn't explicitly Mm -hmm. state it, but in that situation, we can sit there and like when you found out about Jade, you are hurt, but you are also choosing hurt. So how do you like put that, how do you mm-hmm. decide this is a choice and when do you go, but it's not a choice. I am really, really hurt. I think it depends on what the goal is. So if the goal is what I call emotional integrity, like the goal is emotional integrity to feel what you feel, express how you feel, and then move on to the next emotion. So one thing to remember is whenever we talk about mindset and we talk about, okay, your perception is a choice. Here's an example. Super simple. Someone cuts you off in traffic. There is a moment between when the factual act happens, when the event happens, which is just clinical, by the way, someone cuts you off in traffic. That's not necessarily bad, good, right, wrong, whatever. Like, I mean, most of us think that's kind of an asshole move, but we have a choice. There's a period of time between when the event happens and when we respond to it. So most of us, again, default brain, knee-jerk reaction is this fucking asshole. And I think that's valid so long as you have the awareness of like, okay, I'm choosing to be hurt. I'm choosing to be pissed off. And also, what is the goal? Is the goal to be happy all the time? Is the goal to be at ease all the time? Is the goal to be at peace all the time? I think for a lot of people, it's not. I think people, like again, we've talked about this on, on other podcasts that sometimes we like the drama. So we don't want to put on the brakes when it comes to those responses. But I do think that there's value in, depending on what the situation is, that's a minor thing. Cool. It's like, maybe I get pissed for a second, then I'm like, oh, it's fine. Right? Like I can catch myself, go, okay, what do I care? I don't want to be anxious for the rest of the day and pissed off. So I'm going to adjust my mindset and I'm going to go back to being, you know, back in my frame of mind of like, things are all good. If it's your husband cheating on you or something that you feel like is a huge betrayal or something that is huge in your life. I think that it is valid to have the emotional integrity 
to feel what you feel at the same time as as having the awareness. And I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. So I think be in, in your emotional integrity, feel what you feel, and then have the awareness of, cool, do I want to stay mm-hmm. in this place? Do I want to stay angry and hurt? And both you and I got to that point. I don't think it happened quickly for me. It took me about a year and a half. Yeah. But it did eventually just, I did just turn it off and go, you know what? I just don't want to be pissed anymore. Yeah. I just don't want to be hurt anymore. I'm choosing to feel self-righteous. I'm choosing to have, you know, to feel all these ways. Yep. And for, at that point, it was just a switch. Yeah. I think it's, it's in those situations, not so cut and dry. It's not like in the moment I'm like, I'm choosing to be angry. It's right. like, I'm, I'm angry. fucking devastated. But it's the staying there. It's like, okay, five years later, am I still acting that way? Am I still acting out? Am I being a bitter old lady and hating all men? Or can I go, yes. okay, now this is just a choice because yep. the situation has passed a, while, a long time yep. ago. Now I'm just choosing to stay there. And I think that's a really good um, delineation between the two. Because it that is kind of confusing when you hear that. And it almost sounds like a slap in the it's face. It's invalidating. You're like, yeah. wait, am I not, is, are my emotions not valid? Right. It's like if someone dies, oh, I'm, you're choosing to be sad. You're like, no, I'm literally broken up. I lost someone. I'm grieving. That's a real process. But I think Jill just explained it perfectly. It's okay. After however much time and who's to say how much time, but you have to know what's right for you and what's going on in your life to go, okay, now I'm just, am I staying there just to be right? Just to have, I don't know, self-righteous anger or sadness, or am mm-hmm. I just rolling with emotions? Cause you do have to feel emotions. We're human. And I think emotions and feeling emotions are part of the human experience but they're always valid. And so, you know, I think all of us will eventually get to a place where we go, okay, I'm staying mired in this negative emotion. That's where blame turns into responsibility. Mm -hmm. And this is what is really tough. So I talk about radical responsibility quite a bit. And really what that's about is taking responsibility for the situation you find yourself in, even if it wasn't your fault that you're there. You and I talked about this in the affairs episode, being like low-key pissed that like, holy fuck, I'm in California now. And while yes, it was my choice to leave, but I have to deal with this shit, right? So there's that feeling of someone else put me in this situation, right? This wasn't my choice. Someone else put me here, but I'm here. And so the reality of the situation is what are you going to do? And that's where blaming someone else turns into just taking radical responsibility for what do you want to do next and moving into what does that look like? even though I wish I never had to fucking deal with this. I wish I never, it's all never happened. I can't stay mired here. I can't stay here. I, if I ever want the chance to move forward, I need to take responsibility for what my next move is. And to me, that is action. Like action always puts us right back in our power. So what are we going to do? And you know, it also gives us our control back. I think sometimes we're grappling for that control. We're in that space of uncertainty or discomfort and if you move physically or if you, you know, do something for yourself, we talked about this and we talked about the woman who said she did cheat. Cool. Go back to school, get a hobby, join a book club, you know, do something that makes you feel in your power and confident again. And so that's where blaming turns into responsibility. And that's a conscious, that is certainly a conscious choice. I like that idea of just making a decision to change. One thing that I think helps or helped me in the past is finding YouTube videos or stories of Mm. people who've gone through hard things like a drunk driving accident where they lost their ability to walk. And what inspires me is the person who can go, even though I can't walk anymore, I stopped blaming the driver. I stopped being angry at what happened. I was able to move forward. And it just always would give me this sense of, okay, if they can do it, then I can do it. So if, if someone can lose their entire ability to walk 
by something that happened completely out of their control. In fact, an act that could have been prevented so easily by someone not getting in the car. And yet that person chooses to forgive and move on and say, actually, this is a gift for me. Those have been like inspiring stories. Mm -hmm. And I look to those, especially when I'm just in this funk or I feel like I'm blaming people because I'm going, okay, usually nothing I've ever been through is, is that bad. And I think if it's, if you're struggling with something like that, like I didn't do this, it's this person's fault. It might help you. I know it helps me to look at those stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll just make you feel like an asshole, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that because it is, it's stories of forgiveness, you know, and, and being inspired by that. A couple of tools that work for me, and this is hard because there's a time and a place for this, but gratitude. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember talking to my kind of spiritual coach right after I found out about Jade's Affair, like within days or a week. And he was like, he's like, if you can try to be grateful for this experience. And I, I just wanted to punch the motherfucker. I was like, are you serious right now? Be grateful. Like, there's no fucking way I can be grateful. Like, yes, yes. Intellectually, I know that I will be. Mm-hmm. Right. I knew I had done enough self-work that I knew I would be. But in that moment, when someone tells you to be grateful for the struggle, you want to punch him in the face. So I think that's, I want to validate that. Yeah. But eventually, like, I don't know, we're sitting here. You're two years out of your marriage. I'm three years out of my marriage. Do you feel grateful for this? I'm very grateful now. That's why we started this fucking podcast. (laughs) So grateful. Right? And so gratitude is, even though it's a totally different reality than you thought you would be living, the gratitude piece is a huge tool. And the second one that helps me quite a bit when when I do want to blame and complain and criticize and be and put myself in that victim space for what other people are doing to me, I'm air quotes doing to me is giving people the benefit of the doubt and realizing that everyone is operating from insecurities, even us, right? Like everyone is operating from their own insecurities. So if someone snaps at you or someone cuts you off in traffic or someone, you know, I don't know, is mean to you or even betrays you, right? Like, you know, now we can look back and go, you know, I see why our exes cheated. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't about, yes, it, 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 it included us, but it wasn't about us. It was about what they were dealing with their own insecurities. And so for me, that kind of dissipates the anger a little bit because I can almost give the person the benefit of the doubt and go, you know what? They're fucking struggling too, right? Like they have their own struggles they're going through stuff too. They're doing their best, even though I think their best is bullshit. I can see that they're doing their best. And for me, that kind of like dissipates that anger and urgency. So for example, if you know you have someone in your family who like even aunt or like a sibling or someone or you're clash with all the time, could you not just reframe it in your mind? Like, damn, they're really hurting. They're like really struggling. And, and I'm not saying that we don't. I'm just saying that if you're feeling victimized by someone else, chances are they're struggling with something too. Maybe they're they're unaware of it, you know? And so that is really about swallowing our ego, which can be sometimes tough and swallowing our pride and giving them the benefit of the doubt. And it's really, really powerful. It's worked for me a ton. I think the benefit of the doubt thing is a good thing to try when someone triggers you. I think there's certain Mm. people that literally know your triggers and they can hit them every single time. And that's a good time if you're thinking about it now to go back and go, okay, normally, cause I, I know for you, we had this talk, we were on a hike maybe a year and a half ago or so when I first moved out here and talking about my mom. And there are so many things that just would be a trigger for me where I would just lose my shit. If she, even if she just said things in a certain tone, I'm like, I know what she means. I know what she's trying to do. <laughs> yeah. And I remember Jill saying, well, 
what if she didn't mean it that way? I'm like, she does. <laughs> but giving her the benefit of the doubt and actually just treating her in a different way instead of just making assumptions and jumping the gun because it was a trigger before was taking a step back and looking at it a little different. So maybe going forward, if you have like triggers that are literally something, I feel like a trigger and that, as you know, speaking of terms again, what's a trigger? I feel like a trigger is almost, it's like one of those things that it's like creates an automatic response. Could be a, could be the way somebody looks at you. You fly off the handle. Could be the way somebody, somebody says something to you. Could be something that you overhear. It sends you into a spiral of depression or sends you like straight to the straight to smoking cigarettes. But usually I think a trigger is, it could be an environmental uh, factor. It could be a certain place. Could be a certain smell. Could be a certain person. But a trigger is something that just creates like an automatic response. Uh, usually a negative automatic response, but not necessarily just in this context. So I think when it comes to triggers, start recognizing what those are, and then you can choose gratitude or choose benefit of the doubt. I'll give in a reframe, right? So it's just basically reframe. I'll give you guys an example. And I think Danny probably struggled with this too. When I stopped competing, I was so used to being on a diet and I was so used to being really hardcore and I was so used to being lean and in shape and things like that. And I remember when I was coming, like the first year or two after I stopped competing, I would get really triggered by people who were getting in shape mm -hmm. and doing shows. And I was like, oh, like they're so superficial and like whatever. And I was like, why am I getting so upset? And I realized it was because I was shedding the old identity of someone who was like at the gym two, three hours a day, like I was shedding the identity of that. So the mindset shift I had to make for a, for a short amount of time, and I don't see it this way anymore, but I started to pity them because mm -hmm. I remembered my old self being way less secure when I was doing shows. I like hated my body, hated myself. I did everything out of not feeling good enough. And I was like, that's where they are. Yeah. And I had to do that for a little bit just to get my mindset back to feeling in my power and feeling empowered. So I did that for a while. Now I'm just like, it's whatever. Like doesn't even phase me. We talked about, we talked about the other day, going to Gold's Gym here in Venice. There's a lot of people who are competing and they're getting up on stage and they're super shredded. And now I can just look at people walking around with their water jugs and all that kind of stuff and, and appreciate the hard work and the beautiful physiques that I see all the time, super lean, super muscular, but I know what it takes and I know the lifestyle you have to live in order to do that. And it's just a fucking no. Yeah. It's just a no. But I don't like pity it anymore. Like before I was kind of like, oh, these, in, like they, like, oh, they're so insecure. And I had to almost feel better than at a time. It's kind of embarrassing to admit, but for a time I did have to start to feel a little better than to fake it a little bit until I actually started feeling more confident. And so, you know, if you do have a trigger giving someone the benefit of the doubt or get, or even just being like, you know what, they're, they'll get there at some point, or maybe they won't, but that's a story that you can kind of tell to help yourself in that transition. Here's another phrase I heard, I've heard you say a couple times today, and this is another, I think we have these vocabulary words that we assume everybody knows, but in your power, mm. we say in your power all the time. What's in your power? Yeah. Mean? It's such a good question. <laughs> Well, what do you think it means? Uh, I mean, I feel like it's kind of self-explanatory when I hear it, but then I'm going, well, maybe if I came from like a corporate background, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily know. I think in your power is kind of feeling like full, full confidence. Uh, I'm trying to think of ways to not say more uh, cliche things like <laughs> own your worth or own yourself, yeah, yeah. but really um, <laughs> like owning who you are. Okay. What does that even mean? But really just, I think being solid and firm in not shying away from anything, being really you without feeling like you have to hide anything, without feeling like you're insecure around anyone else, like just kind of feeling your best, most authentic self. Even that sounds really 
a lot of wordy stuff, but how do you describe it without, <laughs> you know, to me, it feels terms. like conviction. It feels yeah. like I know who I am. I know what I'm up to. Like I know what I'm doing and I'm not about to be sidetracked by these insecurities and the comparison trap and self doubts and things like that. For me, being in my power is not being at the mercy of other people or situations, right? So for example, you know, in the year before I left the marriage, I felt very out of my power. I felt like I was waiting on Jade to make a decision. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was sitting around and I'll give you guys an insight into this. During that year, Jade got offered a job in California for three months. So he was going to come out to California and, you know, we were still very much like married at the time. I knew about the affair, but we were trying to work things out. And I was like, oh my God, that's so awesome. Like we can go to California for three months. Meanwhile, I'm like location dependent. I can, I can live anywhere, work anywhere. And he just goes, well, why do you like, why do you have to come just because I'm going? And that was probably more heartfelt even than the affair. Cause I was like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember being so hurt and so pissed off at like, why wouldn't you want your wife to come with you? Right. Yes. And looking back, there's a lot of red flags, but when you're so emotionally connected, I remember I went back and I was like, fuck it. I'm booking two weeks in Italy. And it was kind of a fuck you. I wanted to go anyway, but I was like, fuck you. I'm going to Italy by myself while you're in California you know, good luck to you. And it was kind of like, yes, it was done with a little bit of like a get back at you, fuck you kind of an attitude. But what that did for me was create a situation where I could be on my own, where I could start to build self-trust outside of my relationship. And so for me, it was about doing something like I'm the one who chooses, right? You don't choose to go to California and leave me behind. I'm going to Italy and leaving you behind. Like, I know that sounds kind of like just childish and I'm trying to not be super evolved for you guys because this is like real life shit. But I think that that's what it's about, right? Looking back, I'm like, cool. Like it was a little bit childish, but at the same time, it gave me so much self-confidence. And so I think being in your power is making a decision without considering Mm -hmm. and not in a mean way, not considering, but like just being like, you know what? I'm doing this for me and I'm taking back that power, a level of of control. I was going to say like taking back your power and yeah, control, like taking back control of yourself. And you're like, cool, I'm doing my thing. I'm, I'm with it. You and I even talked about this with dating, right? Like we've talked about like maybe being on dating apps and things like that. And we're like kind of at the mercy of like talking to all these dudes. And then we're just like, fuck it, cut them all off, work, go to work. Right. Like you don't want to sit by the phone waiting for someone to call you or sit around you know, even if you're looking for a new job, I've seen people do this where they're just like, I'm not making any money. It's like, okay, well, find something, be resourceful. You can't just sit around waiting for uh, someone to call and hire you. Like you have to go do something to be in your power. Go fill out more applications. Go make more resumes. Go, I don't know, drive Uber. Like there's so many things you can do. And oftentimes I think we feel like we're waiting for something to happen to fall in our laps, to change on the outside when ultimately to be in your power means you do something different and that makes you feel like, okay, I'm I have control again. I can yep. do this. It definitely feel, it makes you feel like you're engaged. So it's maybe you can educate yourself. You yeah. can learn a new skill. You can do something and it just makes you feel like, cool, I have a say. That, to me, that's what it is. Owning your power means you have a say. Let's do another one. Hold space. Mm. Hold space. What does it mean? You want to go? Space? You want to start with that one? <laughs> the, I was just thinking like when we talk, we say a lot of these things no, no. and it's really... I think it's very much indicative of our our industry because I think if we, if we were sitting at dinner and we had like some IT guys just having dinner, they would be like, what the hell are these people talking about? What is holding space? I think holding space is one in reference to being there for someone else. So if I'm struggling with something and I, and I would like Jill to hold space for me to talk about it, meaning that I need her to be there for me emotionally, just be a shoulder to cry on, be someone to listen 
not judge me, but really holding space or holding space for her or someone else, meaning the same thing, like being there for someone, non-judgmental, be there emotionally, sometimes physically. But for me, that's what holding space means just to like kind of be a, be a friend, a, an ear or Yes, exactly. Non-judgment, I feel like, is key. Mm -hmm. And the second part is key is not making it about you. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really hard, especially if it's a romantic situation where someone comes to you and they're sharing something that they're struggling with or an insecurity that they have or something they're dissatisfied with. Holy shit, it's so easy to take it on and be like, well, what am I doing wrong, right? And then we start to center ourselves in the conversation versus allowing for the person to, even if you're getting triggered on the inside, right? This person is sharing with you something that you feel responsible for, or you feel like you did something wrong, or you feel like they're attacking you, even if they're not. I think allowing for them to just tell their, speak their truth, right? Mm -hmm. To speak their truth, to tell their side of the story, to share the things that they need sharing. And then instead of defending yourself, ask more questions. Be like, cool, why do you think you feel that way? Instead of assuming that you fucked up or you did something bad, just go, cool, well, what what do you think makes you feel that way? One thing that my boyfriend asked me sometimes is, what would you prefer? He'll say stuff like, you know, well, how, you know, what is it exactly that you want? Instead of being like angry or whatever, like he's been really good at hold, quote, holding space. And I've told you that multiple times, like he is very just like open, listens, you know, doesn't like make it about him. And if he, and if he starts to get triggered, he will say to me, well, can you see how, I could make that about me or like you're dissatisfied with us. And I'm like, yes, I totally see that. Right. So I think holding space is non-judgment and also allowing the other person to just speak without making it about you. Such a conscious relationship you guys have. See, I don't, I don't know that we do. I mean, having a lot of sex and skateboarding, I guess. I mean, <laughs> Oh my God. Anyway, I love this conversation. I know that we could probably talk in like three hours about this, but we want to do a little mini episode. Maybe we'll do a part two, like a deeper mindset work. Yeah. Go deeper in the vocab. Go deeper in the vocab. <laughs> but if you guys have any other additional questions, obviously I know that this stuff is like you open up a can of worms and you talk about triggers and emotional hijacks and insecurities and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, if you guys have questions or things that are even just like situations in your own life that you would like, I don't know, for us to dissect a little bit. Not that we know what we're talking about, but at least we can kind of. <laughs> but we'll have, talk about but it. But we'll fucking talk about it because we love talking about stuff. So we'll just have insight, share, you know, our insight, maybe some thoughts on it and, you know, probably not prescribe anything, but we can at least have a conversation, which is interesting. Hey, conversations are good. Make sure you guys uh, go to our Facebook group at thebestlifepodcast.com. And you can always email us info at thebestlifepodcast.com and we can make it anonymous. If you have questions, if you have any life scenarios that you'd like to get our take on, we would love that. It's super fun. We like to read those on the air. We do. And please, if you haven't yet, leave a review and a rating, rate and review, five star, four star. Please don't give us a one star. <laughs> we love you guys. We'll see you on the next All episode. All right, you guys. We'll see you soon. Bye.